Proverbs chapter 25, we'll begin reading at verse 16. Have you found honey? Eat only what you need, that you not have it in excess and vomit it. Let your foot rarely be in your neighbor's house, or he will become weary of you and hate you. Like a club and a sword and a sharp arrow is a man who bears false witness against his neighbor. Like a bad tooth and an unsteady foot is confidence in a faithless man in time of trouble. Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or like vinegar on soda is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. I don't know. I don't know what to do. My kids don't listen to me anymore. It goes in one ear and out the other. I don't know what to say to them anymore. Every parent has come to that point, I think. If you haven't, you're a wonderful exception. I wonder, does God ever feel that way about us, his children? After all, when you think about us, we're pretty stubborn, we're silly, we're easily distracted, we're forgetful. How does God get through to us? I'd like us to think about that today. We've been looking at the book of Proverbs on the one hand, as how God is raising all of us as his children. And on the other hand, instructions for how parents should raise their children. And also grandparents, aunts, uncles, all of us who are in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we looked at three foundations. The three foundations uh, for being, you might say, wise children in a foolish world, first of all, was to make a decision to actually pursue wisdom, to decide to be wise. And, and many, many people don't make that choice. There's too many other choices that seem better. Second one is the fear of the Lord. And the third one is that all instruction focuses on the heart. Now, for the next few weeks, I'd like to continue looking at Proverbs, but I'd like to look at some tools that we can use as parents, but also that God uses with us, and these tools particularly that I find in the book of Proverbs. And what we'll see is that our heavenly Father, through the example of how he deals with all of us as his children, and through the indwelling of the spirit of wisdom, which is in every one of God's children, he shows us how to use words creatively to train God's children in the ways of wisdom. So this book, Proverbs, as you know, is a training manual to train leaders, and it's preparing leaders for the kingdom. What do they need? Well, yeah, you know, when we train leaders in government or for management, we read theories of management, and we read uh, about statistics, and we read about accounting, and we study management software. All that actually is very easy to master. What's hard and what's at the crux of leadership is wisdom. And that's what the book of Proverbs is teaching us. In this class that the teacher is collecting together, there's some who are tending towards foolishness. Uh, they get into this school maybe by the skin of their teeth, maybe because their mom or dad paid a big sum you know, of money to get them into the school. I don't know, but they're in the school. And they're sure of themselves. They, they're so confident of what they already know. They spew out their half-baked thoughts and opinions rather than learning. And so the teacher rebukes them. Yeah, so the teacher rebukes them and says in 18.2, 
A, few, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. But there's others who are hungry for wisdom. They know what chapter 4, verse 7 says. Something that we looked at a few weeks ago, that the beginning of wisdom is to be hungry for wisdom. They don't want to argue or defend what they already believe. They come with questions. They come with inquiry. They want to learn. So people in this class, you might say, are like our children, aren't they? Or even better, they're like all of us, God's children. And so what kinds of speech does the teacher use to teach them? Does the teacher give lectures? Well, there are some long passages in the book of Proverbs. As you read them, we might call them lectures. They, they're focused on one particular theme for a sustained amount of time. But there's very few of them. You find them in, for example, the first nine chapters and then some towards the very end of the, of the book. There are lectures where, you know, it's kind of like mom and dad are saying, sit down, I need to talk to you. And the kid rolls his eyes and mom says, no, this is important. You need to hear this. There are lectures, but they're few. If you look at the rest of the Bible, you find that God does lecture his children. There's many places where there are long passages, but passages, but it's not the only way. As you look at the Bible, what do you find? God speaks in poetry. God speaks to us in song. God speaks through history. God speaks through parables, through stories, through drama. Imagine, imagine a prophet like Isaiah preaching naked and barefooted. That'll get your attention. There's all kinds of ways that God reaches his people. And actually, we miss out if we neglect some of them. You know, if we say, I only like this part of the Bible, I don't like that part of the Bible. God knows what we need. He knows we need it in all kinds of ways. He knows his children. And so when you look at Jesus, you find the same thing. There are lectures, we might call them, long sermons. Sometimes, you know, they lasted all day long, but there was some kind of sweetness to them. There's there a warmth of truth in them so that people would walk miles to sit on hard ground to listen to Jesus preach like that. But it wasn't the only way he preached. He also prodded and poked the hearts of his hearers in many other ways. Just read them. There's, there's much repetition in the way he speaks. There's much probing questions. You know, it, it knocks his hearers off balance. And then you find all these pithy statements that you just can't get out of your head. So there's more than one way in which Jesus taught. So our text, and really I could have picked many texts as an example, the one I selected in Proverbs 25 is an example of variety. We should communicate with variety, not just lectures. So let's just look at this text in Proverbs chapter 25. If you're open there, look at verse 11. Like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances or in the right season. You notice it's a word, not a lot of words. It's not a lecture, it's just a word. And you notice it's in season. You pick the right time, it's in the right circumstances. It's not when mom and dad, you're overwhelmed emotionally. Everything that you wanted to say has been piling up. You've been putting it in a dump truck and now you back up the dump truck and unload everything kid, that's not what it is. And, and you notice it's in settings of silver. It means it's crafted carefully. The more delicate the situation, the more the planning, the more the prayer, the more the preparation. If you have time, 
look sometime at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, and you'll see it echoes exactly the same kind of instruction. And what's it like? Verse 12 and 13, like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest is a faithful messenger to those he sends who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. You know, we're told that in ancient Israel, sometimes a rider would go to the top of Mount Hermon and get some snow and pack them in his satchel and then ride hard through the heat of the day to the palace and bring snow to the royal family. Oh, on a hot day, how refreshing it is. And what it's saying is that our speech, when we speak to one another, when they're well prepared, they're like refreshment. They're not annoying, they're not a burden, but they're refreshing like something cool on a hot day. So we find that they're well crafted. Then we find that sometimes they're funny and insightful. Look at verse 16. Have you found honey? Eat only what you need that you may not have it in excess and vomit. My kids loved this proverb. Somehow it was their favorite. I think finding the word vomit in the Holy Scriptures was something wonderful. Like, man, this is about real life. Throw up in the Bible. I didn't know they talked about stuff like that. But it's, it's pretty good. And then verse 17. Isn't this great? Let your foot rarely be in your neighbor's house or he will become weary of you. I know, I know, my daughter, my son. I know, you're so wonderful. Everybody loves you. You're the life of the party. No matter where you go, people don't ever want you to go. But think about it. You may not be as wanted as you think you are. Verse 20. These are just some examples. Like one who takes off a garment on a cold day or like vinegar on soda is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. I think it's pretty clear, isn't it? You may have a wonderful day, but if you're talking to someone who's not having a good day, someone who's suffering, it's not a time to recite all the wonderful things that are happening in your life. Elsewhere, it talks about how troubled and how unwelcome it is when you sing songs early in the morning as a greeting. Oh, you may be happy. You may be a morning person, but when you wake up, other people, they're not happy. You know, parents, when you wake up your teens early in the morning, what do you expect? Do you expect them to be happy? Oh, thank you, mother dear, for waking me from a sound slumber in the middle of the night. No, they don't like it. Proverbs says, well, what do you expect? They're human like you. It's kind of funny how the tables turned. Remember how annoyed you used to be when your toddlers would come in early in the morning and wake you up? Well, now you're doing the same thing to them. So Proverbs says, think about these practical areas and it gives us insights into all these sorts of things. And then there's some dramatic word pictures that scripture points to. 26, I think this is said with tears, isn't it? Like a trampled spring and a polluted well is a righteous man who gives way before the wicked. How, how sad to see the ruin of a good man, a good woman, who has fallen into bad company and now is suffering the result of those choices. How sad. Look at verse 27. It's not good to eat much honey, nor is it glory to search out one's own glory. Try eating sweets all day long. Try eating candy all day long. You're going to get sick. And I'll tell you what, if you go around talking about everything you're, you're doing and how great you are, everyone else is going to get sick. 
Verse 28, like a city that is broken into without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. My son, you're saying, my daughter, you're so smart. You're so strong. You're so energetic. You have such influence at school. You have such influence at work. People look up to you. You do so well academically. You're always getting promoted at work. There's so much that's going on that's so good. But you have no control over yourself. Your words spew out like water from a broken pipe. Your emotions rule you. You're, you're like a beautiful city that is destined to be burnt and destroyed. It's picturesque, isn't it? It's dramatic. It's a word picture that will stick with us. See, you see there's a variety, a variety in the way God speaks to us in the book of Proverbs. Just as there's a a variety in the rest of the scriptures. And we have to use this as an example. Use this in speaking to one another, but especially in speaking to our children. So as we look at the book of Proverbs, here's one tool I find. It's, It's the variety of ways in which we should speak. Let me try to point to three things, three categories of variety that are used in the book of Proverbs. And let's look at them one by one. The first thing that we should do is to remind and to repeat, and then repeat, and then repeat. You'll see this in the book of Proverbs, and you'll see this in the rest of the Bible. Bible is never afraid to repeat the same thing over and over and over and over again, because God knows how dull we are. Deuteronomy, you know what the word means? The second law. Just repeated the whole thing again. I know you're reading through the Bible. I don't think you got it the first time. We just say everything again. So Deuteronomy 5 repeats all the Ten Commandments that are in Exodus 20. Let me tell you all of this a second time. Philippians 3, 1, Paul writes, To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He knows. He knows. This is what's going to keep you safe. I'm just going to write everything I told you and tell you all again. Peter writes, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12, I will always be ready, always be ready to remind you of these things. I'm going to remind you over and over again. So when you look at the Bible, for example, when you look at a phrase like do not be afraid or some variation of that, there's hundreds of times that's repeated in the Bible in one way or another. So parents scream many times, how many times do I have to tell you not to do that? A lot more than you have. That's the answer. Because <laughs> they're just like you are. They're just like I am. Repeat, repeat, repeat. So Proverbs reminds us over and over and over again. It repeats and repeats and repeats. Some statistics are interesting. Someone has counted, and they say that there are 79 instances of the same thought appearing twice in two verses. And there are 15 examples of the same thought occurring in three different verses. And there are five instances of the same thought occurring in four verses. In fact, when you count all of that up, it accounts for like 24% of this book. One quarter of the book is repetition. Why are you repeating? Well, because you didn't get it the first time. I hardly have to give you examples. Just read the book of Proverbs. You'll see that some themes have even more emphasis than others. We're warned about romantic seduction over and over and over again. Why? Because, man, repetition is necessary. We're so susceptible to this. We're warned about 
how our words have to be cared for and how easily we stumble. Words, mouth, lips, tongue, over and over are mentioned. We're warned over and over about bad companions because we need to be warned. Didn't you hear the first time? Why are you hanging out over there? What's wrong with you? Sit down. I'm going to repeat my whole lecture again. Repetition. So, so here's an example. Uh, since we're open to Proverbs 25, just the next chapter, verse 7. Who do you trust? It says, like the legs which are useless to the lame, so is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Just because you know the right words doesn't mean you're wise. It can be fruitless. And then you read verse 9. Like a thorn which falls into the hand of a drunkard, so is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. Wait a minute. Did you just say this? Why are you saying this again? Because you weren't listening. So I thought I'd repeat it again. This repetition over and over again. And you can find many, many other examples of this. Why? Because it's the human heart. It's the human mind. It's your children. It's all of God's children. That's what we're like. So what do you have to do to memorize a verse? Well, to memorize a verse, you have to say the same words over and over again. Try it. You know, adults always say, well, I can't memorize anymore. Well, have you tried it? There's a brother who's memorizing uh, Psalm 119. He said he's writing the whole psalm out by hand over and over and over and over again. You repeat it, it gets into your head, gets into your heart. Say the same verse over to yourself about 10, 12, 20 times, and it'll be in your head forever. Teachers have to what? They have to review because that helps them because wisdom takes repetition. So parents have to say the same things over and over and over again because children have the same heart that all of God's children do, that you and I do. And so that's why God reminds us over and over and over again. So you'll see this in the book of Proverbs. You'll see this in the Bible. Repetition. We should repeat and we shouldn't get frustrated just the way the world is. That's how God deals with us. So here's a second way that you'll see God speaks to us, especially in the book of Proverbs, but really many places in the Bible. Questions, riddles, puzzles. Sometimes questions are more powerful than a statement. It gets children thinking. It gets all of God's children thinking, trying to puzzle it out. What does this mean? It's the whole process of discovery. And so you'll find these kinds of things in the, in the book of Proverbs. The Proverbs is full of questions. I, can I just give you a few examples? Actually, if you count them, it really will depend on how you count them, but there are certainly dozens of them in the book of Proverbs. Here's one in Proverbs 6, 27, 29. Here's a kind of a riddle. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Think about it. I'll get back to you tomorrow. Now, the next verse has the answer. Verse 29 says, that's what it's like to try to have a relationship with another man's wife, another woman's husband. You're transgressing boundaries, and man, you're going to get hurt. That's all there is to it. Here's another one from Proverbs 20, verse 9. It's, it's a probing question, but it's very interesting because it's also self-revealing at the very same time. He says, who can say I have cleansed my heart, I am pure from my sin. And the son or the daughter goes and thinks about it. Why is dad asking me that question? The very fact that he's asking me that question means that he thinks he can't cleanse his heart from sin. The son comes back, the daughter comes back, 
the next day and the dad says, that's exactly right. I need a savior. I need forgiveness. I need somebody from the outside to wash me and cleanse me. That's why I trust in what Christ has done for me on the cross. Who can cleanse his own heart? Not me, son. Not me, daughter. Then there's invitations to observe life and learn. For example, in Proverbs 23, 29, and 30. Think about this. Go out, look at your friends, look at people in the church, look at people in society. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Who's always in trouble? Go out and look. And the answer is in the next verse, verse 30, those who linger long over wine. Think about it. Think about the effects of those who are consumed with alcohol. Think about those who chase after drugs. Think about those who smoke pot. Think about those who take illicit drugs. Are their lives doing well? Do you want to be like them? Think about it. Just observe life and make wise choices. Avoid foolish ones. Pursue wise ones. And then here's another example. Here's, here's where you might say a parent is saying, you know, there's so much I don't know. But join me, my child. Let's contemplate this wonderful world around us together. So Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who has ascended into heaven and descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped the waters in his garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and his son's name? Surely you know. Go think about it. And as you think about this and as you come up with answers, it will lead you to life. Because it will lead you to the God of all creation who is life. So you'll see in Proverbs, there's questions, there's puzzles, there's riddles. And they're powerful and we should talk that way. God talks to us that way. And here's a third example. Pithy statements. Short, powerful statements. I think lectures are necessary sometimes. But there's something particularly powerful about a short statement that's memorable. I don't know if any of you young people were or are the way I was. I'm, I was never a fan of the lectures from my mother or father. You might love them. I did not. I would daydream through them. I'm so, sad to say that, but I would. And sometimes just to occupy myself, because they were so long. You know, they were really long. Sometimes, you know, I'd be sitting on the carpet and I'd be drawing figures in the carpet. You ever done that? You know, a nice pile carpet is almost like a tablet if you want to draw things. And that's what would occupy me, sadly enough. But those pithy little statements had power. Whenever my dad asked me to do something hard, something that was uncomfortable, something that would require some endurance, he would always say, remember the Spartans. It'll make you tough. And he told us a story about the Spartans. So I knew exactly what he meant. And you know what? To this day, those stinking Spartans are in my head. I can't get it out. I always remember the Spartans. Is this going to make me tough? Those pithy little statements stick there. And so sometimes you find statements that are clever or funny in the book of Proverbs. They, they make the truth memorable. They sink down into the mind and into the heart. Here's some examples. Proverbs 11:22. Just hang on to your sensitivities for a moment. Here's what it says. As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a beautiful woman who lacks discretion. That's funny. Come on, admit it. And of course, we can take it 
both ways. It applies to men also. Like gallons of cologne and necklaces of gold around a turkey, so is a man who lacks discretion. Yeah, it's saying something about outward beauty and inward wisdom. They don't always go together, do they? They don't go together. I think it's a very funny image. Look at chapter 30. Now, this section, really the whole little section, this stanza, you might say, is worth reading. But I I always remember the beginning, chapter 30, verse 15. The leech has two daughters, give and give. Yeah, the the rest explains it. You know, the, the leech is never satisfied. He can't even think of anything but getting, getting, getting. So when he has children, he names them all the same thing. Your give, your give, and your give. Because I just want, 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 want. I think it's hilarious. I think it's funny. that it, It's memorable. The leech has two daughters. What are their names? Give and give. That's all it is. And sometimes they're ambiguous. Sometimes they just make you think. They're not as clear as you'd want them to be. But you know what? Proverbs says, Proverbs says that being able to figure out riddles, things that are ambiguous, is itself a sign of wisdom. It said it right at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 6. To have wisdom, you'll be able to figure out parables and riddles. So exercise, work on those. When you read the parables of Jesus, figure out what Jesus is saying. Look at the hints that he himself gives, because that itself is a sign of wisdom. So there's so many examples. Of course, the, the one that comes to mind to many of us is chapter 24, this is chapter 26, verse 4 and 5. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will be like him. Got it! I'm out of here. But wait, verse 5. Answer a fool as his folly deserves that he not be wise in his own eyes. What am I supposed to do? Well, use wisdom, use discretion. Figure out how each situation is different. You're not a machine that operates according to a program. You're a man, you're a woman, and you have the wisdom of God in you. So these kinds of verses make us think because they are in and of themselves a little bit ambiguous. And then there's some strange truths. Go back to chapter 18, verse 24. A man of too many friends comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Isn't that something? Wait a minute. Is it possible to have too many friends? Puts you off balance for a moment, doesn't it? Especially in our era of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram where we're collecting all kinds of friends that we possibly can. Is it even conceivable to have too many friends? By the way, even as I mention Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, I'm thinking that if this sermon is replayed five years from now, nobody will know what they are. Just as now, nobody knows what MySpace and AOL and Netscape and Juno are. They'll be gone. They'll fly away. Those things aren't as sub- substantive as you think they are, just as your friends are not as substantive as you think they are. So it makes us think, do I have any real friends? And what is a real friend? So you see, Proverbs gives us examples of ways in which we can speak to those that we're instructing. Might be a Sunday school teacher, might be a, might be a parent, might be a friend speaking to a friend. So, so you notice there's variety. And this variety makes what's said memorable. These are things that are said with creativity, 
with drama, with humor, so that the wisdom works its way deep into the mind and the heart. Another lecture. Oh my goodness, not another lecture, Mom. No, Dad. Can't take it. I didn't enjoy them. I'll be, I'll be honest. But those off-the-cuff remarks, those things that were repeated over and over again, those I remember forever. If anybody ever wished anybody good luck, my dad would always say, luck, there's no such thing. And if you didn't run, you'd get a long lecture on why there's no such thing as luck. So you remember that. We never wish good luck. I still don't. And I know there's one that you probably heard, maybe your kids still here, when you're out shopping for clothes, you'll grow into it. Some of those pants I still won't, still are baggy on me, you know, they're just, I never will grow into those things. But you'll remember all those little things. Sometimes my dad would ask uh, a child to say a prayer at, at meals, and you know, children sometimes would say a perfunctory prayer, Lord bless this food, may it give health and strength to us, amen. And my dad would say, such a short prayer for such a wonderful meal? Next time you remembered it. I better put some meat in this prayer. Those little statements stick with you. And God commands us to instruct our children, to speak to them. And to do it, we have to do it creatively, wisely, with variety. Now immediately we're going to say, well, I don't have it in me. You know, what do you think I am? The writer of Proverbs? Am I Solomon? Well, God shows us how to do it. God equips us to do it through the example that he gives and through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit. Every believer in the Lord Jesus Christ has the spirit of wisdom in him and in her. So God, God's word comes in a great variety. Look, at it, it's an example. Songs, drama, history, teaching, stories, proverbs. He does all this because he knows the frailty of his children. And so he gives us an example as frail, sinful parents who need to learn how to do it. And we learn by his example how to speak to these precious children who God has entrusted to us. We can follow his example, but he gives us more. To every b believer is given the gift of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of wisdom. He indwells us. I don't know how to do this. And so God speaks to us. You know, Jesus said something interesting. He said, if you're standing before a court, you're being persecuted. You may be facing execution. He says, don't worry. The Holy Spirit will give you the right words to say. Now, if the Holy Spirit will give you the right words to say before a persecutor, how much more when you're speaking to your beloved children? God is there with you. God will equip you to do the right thing. God will give you equipment not just to give long lectures, but to give Holy Spirit-inspired, creative, heart-touching, mind-provoking, memorable ways of sharing his truth and his wisdom. So pray, think, plan, and fill the hearts of your children with God's wisdom. Amen. Lord our God, we thank you for being our Heavenly Father, for being patient with us, for, for doing all these, this creative work just to share truth which we should be hungry for and anxious to receive in any form it comes. Thank you, Lord, for recognizing that we are frail and for being compassionate and kind in the way you deal with us. Help us, Lord, as brothers and sisters to be the same way towards one another as we instruct and teach, especially be with parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, Lord, as they instruct young children. Spirit of God, come upon us, we pray. Give us your wisdom. In your holy name, amen. 
Let's stand and sing just before we are dismissed with a word of benediction about the one who is the focus of our lives. You know, we live in individuality <clears throat> that the things that matter are the special ways in which we dress our special gifts, our special hobbies, our special interests, our, our special uh, ways and lifestyles and identities. But you know what, brothers and sisters? What matters most, we have all in common. That's why we're called brothers and sisters. We've all been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've all been filled by His Holy Spirit. We're all destined to nestle around the throne of our Heavenly Father together. And so, as you leave, I just want you to be thinking about this fact that we're brothers and sisters. And may you love one another as brothers and sisters, as members of the family of our Heavenly Father. Amen.